0: AM 1060 KDUS Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2 Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060, or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the extra point is good.
1: Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. And as always, you can follow online at KDOS1060.com. If you haven't already done so, download the new KDOS 1060 app available for Apple and Android users. It's a Monday. It is February 20th. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. Uh, so wishing him uh, a much better night ahead and a much better day ahead as well. Uh, so Kayla Mortolaro with you here. Up until 1 o'clock today, we'll be joined by Thomas Casali of the Action Network. Uh, The end of the regular season in college hoops is almost upon us. Conference championships are just around the corner. And March Madness will be here before we know it. So let's uh, get Thomas to help us with the futures market and what we should be paying attention to as we uh, approach the conference tournaments. We'll also catch up with Scott Miller today. uh, Spring training talk, get his perspective. Perspective on tim mccarver and and uh him in the broadcast booth and how he kind of set the scene and set the tone for what we expect from baseball analysts so we'll catch up with scott miller of uh sirius xm major league baseball around twelve fifteen today let's set the scene though with today's poll questions and we'll start with the kdos 1060.com poll question here with the reports The Arizona Cardinals are hiring Drew Petzing as offensive coordinator, Nick Rallis as defensive coordinator, both of which are first-time coordinators, along with having Jonathan Gannon, a first-year head coach. Would you like to see an established NFL voice be hired as a senior assistant? 75% of you are on the yes side of things, no sitting at 25%. We'll answer this question today around 12 30. Flipping this on over to Twitter at AM 1060 if you noticed, there was no NFL, no NFL on the docket over the weekend, but there was some XFL. There's a potential opportunity here. Uh, the NFL has not set their preseason schedule yet, but if The NFL preseason schedule aligns with the XFL as well as the AFL. There could potentially be just like one or two weeks without football in an entire calendar year. So this is quite interesting. So I'm just curious. Did you spend time watching the reboot of the XFL over the weekend? Yes and no. No out in front at 63.2% of the vote. Yes, sitting at 36.8%. We'll get into this a little bit more as well at 1230 today. Let's get things started, though, with the Arizona Cardinals rounding out the coaching staff. According to Tom Pellicero and Ian Rappaport, the Cardinals will hire Drew Petzing as offensive coordinator. Petzing comes to the Cardinals as a 35-year-old. He was with the Browns organization the last couple of years, tight ends coach and quarterback coach last season. He worked with Jonathan Gannon in Minnesota, by all accounts from Things that Albert Breer had been reporting like prior to Jonathan Gannon getting the job uh, as head coach, he would want to bring Petsing along as offensive coordinator. So this seemed to be Gannon's top choice for the job all along. Then you have Nick Rawlis here, according to Tom Pellicero, is set to be the new defensive coordinator. Rawlis, 29 years old, was on the defensive staff with Gannon in Philly as the linebackers coach. Uh, Rawls set to become the NFL's youngest coordinator. I do find it interesting here that with the Cliff Kingsbury hire a couple of years ago, his inexperience at the NFL level, the Cardinals decided to pair him with Vance Joseph, who obviously had defensive coordinator experience. He had head coaching experience in the at the NFL level. So, with that construction previous to how things unfolded, will we see a senior assistant type position be added with someone who does have coordinator or head coaching experience? So I'm curious to see if that is going to be part of Jonathan Gannon's staff, if it is at a senior assistant level or or some sort of consulting level uh, with this construction of the relatively inexperienced coordinator and head coaches that are now going to be making up the Arizona Cardinals' uh, most important positions, head coaching, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator. And of course the question today on kdus 1060.com do you want to see somebody like that have a voice inside the cardinals facility to help get this team back on track now Peter King of Football Morning in America was able to have a conversation with Jonathan Gannon, and there were some interesting takeaways from this. And one of which is kind of that mentor, person with plenty of NFL experience, and that person for Jonathan Gannon is Mike Zimmer. Quote here from Gannon in this Peter King Football Morning in America article One of my biggest mentors is Mike Zimmer. Is my personality the same as Mike Zimmer? No, it is not. Am I in alignment with a lot of things that he did as a head coach for discipline, accountability, player performance? You bet your butt I am. Went ahead and cleaned that one up a little bit. That's not saying, like, I'm a tough guy, because I'm probably going to run that more like Nick Nick Sirianni, he's referring to there. They're completely different personality types, but I'll say this. Someone that worked around me would never say I'm soft on people. Now, this again continues to go back to what Michael Bidwell, when he had the press conference announcing Cliff would not be returning as head coach and what they are looking for in a head coach moving forward. Accountability was the word that continued to pop up. Mike Zimmer absolutely known for accountability absolutely known for being tough hard disciplined so with jonathan gannon saying that mike zimmer is his mentor interesting quote here taking a little bit of mike zimmer taking a little bit of nick sirianni and kind of melding that together into what is the nfl in 2023 As I mentioned, a couple of other things that I thought were interesting from this Peter King football morning in America conversation with Jonathan Gannon, Um, Kyler Murray, he's going to continue to be a topic of conversation just because... He's drafted number one overall just because the expectations are through the roof, just because he has a massive contract to lead this team, now recovering from his ACL surgery. So the question here is, what about Kyler Murray? How does this all fit? According to Jonathan Gannon, quote, if Kyler Murray isn't here, I don't take this job. Now that's pretty interesting considering plenty of reports in the offseason, early in the offseason, in terms of the coaching cycle higher, that reports were coming out that people don't want the job because of Kyler Murray. But what is Jonathan Gannon really going to say here? He's, he's got Kyler Murray as the quarterback. He is the head coach. Now, this is what I do find interesting. Quote from Jonathan Gannon, I think this offense will look much different this guy does things that, is complete, that completely handcuffs you how you play defense at times. I think we can take him to another level and unleash his full skill set. Now, here we go. We're not going to put him in the gun all the time. I'll tell you that. Gun there being shotgun. In 2019, the first year for the Cliff and Kyler tandem, 13% of snaps came under center. 87% of snaps came in the shotgun. Now, here's what's interesting. In 2021, that number for the Cardinals grew to 91% of the time in shotgun. The Eagles, I know Jonathan Gannon has nothing to do with the offensive side of the ball, but the Eagles, ironically, in 2021 were tied for third with 83% of the time in the shotgun. So I decided to kind of investigate a little bit about, you know, the differences between shotgun and under center. And there's been plenty of discussions over time about how being under center can disguise what it is that you want to do. And it makes the defense have to take an extra Take an extra moment before they react to a play because you're under center, because there's so many different options there. It can be a play action fake. It can be a bootleg. It can be a throw. It can be a quick throw, deep shot, et cetera. There's plenty of different ways to disguise what it is that you want to do. So according to Marty Morningwig, who was quoted in the 33rd, he thinks being in shotgun in today's NFL – 70 percent of the time is a really good mix and balance and he was going on to say in this article here about shotgun versus under center that you know 20 years ago it was 30 percent of the time you were in shotgun and 70 percent of the time you were under center now with how everything is more spread spread offenses have really come into play here um 70% of the time is probably what he thinks is a good balance for what you want to do. So I'll be interested to see how this evolves. Obviously, with drew Petzing now going to be the offensive coordinator and under Jonathan Gannon's guidance. Uh, One other thing that caught my attention here in this story from Peter King and Football Morning in America uh, that Gannon admitted Philadelphia offered him more money to stay on as defensive coordinator than what he will make as a head coach with the arizona cardinals they did not want to lose him quote that's cool and i loved it there but i wanted to be a head coach and i was excited about this because of mr bidwell monty osinfort and kyler so you're at least getting somebody who is incredibly passionate about being a head coach wanting this opportunity he's saying all the right things about how he sees kyler murray being able to grow and perform now how is it all going to come together that's the biggest question mark and of course can't really get started on any of that until kyler murray is done with the rehab process hoping that everything goes well in the rehab process no setbacks Timetable remains on on schedule And hopefully he's back early to mid-October for this Arizona Cardinals team. We'll pause with some NFL discussion, Cardinals discussion. We'll head on out to the KDOS hotline. Thomas Casali, the Action Network, he's going to help us try to figure out what to do in the world of college basketball as conference championships and March Madness are here before you know it. It is the Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 and online at kdos1060.com.
0: KDUS AM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and SportsMap Radio. Catch all the sports content here on AM 1060.
1: Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and the new KDOS 1060 app for Apple and Android users. We need some college basketball help. And to do that, Thomas Casali with the Action Network is on the KDOS hotline to try and get us on the right track here. Thomas, it's Kayla here. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing well. How
1: are you? Doing fantastic. Uh, As we mentioned here, college basketball season, a lot of people's attention now kind of shifts toward college hoops. We have the conference championships coming up. We have March Madness just around the corner. But let's kind of start with the NCAA March Madness bracket preview. The Big East. They didn't get a whole lot of love here. Marquette and Xavier earned number four seeds and were number 14 and number 16, respectively, in these preseason rankings here. You also have Creighton soaring, winning eight of their last nine. First up, how do you start to figure out this conference? And for you, does the Big East tournament help to put things into perspective?
2: Yeah, so the Big, the big East is interesting, right? Like uh, last year in April, Durham, Kansas, North Carolina title game. I hit Creighton in hundred to one and eighty to one to win it all. I thought that was a great number for a young team that was going to be improved this year. To be honest, they're not quite the team I thought they would be. Can they make a run in the tournament? Yes. But I think they're going to struggle with teams that are that have good low post games. You know, they really only have one guy down low. Um, you know, so they're a good team. I think the big east has good teams. Like, you know, Connecticut's a good team. Marquette's a good team. Are any of them going to make a run to the national championship? I don't think so. I think you got a bunch of teams that could make the Sweet 16, maybe the Elite Eight. But for me, unfortunately, because I stand to win a lot of money on Creighton if they take it all, I think that's their ceiling.
1: Thomas Consale with the Action Network here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Purdue, they had a 22-1 start through the 2nd of February. Now they've dropped three more games. The bracket prediction has them actually now as the number 3 ranked team. Futures Odds has them at uh, 10-1 to to win it all and plus 200 to make the Final Four. How do we figure out what to do with this team? Is it time to maybe try to hedge off of Purdue if you placed any wagers on them in January and early February?
2: Yeah, see, for me, Purdue has been overvalued all season. They have the most dominant player in college basketball, but I still worry about their guard play in the NCAA tournament, similar to Gonzaga, right? The the Zags just don't have the guards this year, I don't think, to make a deep run into the tournament. I think at some point Purdue's guards are going to be a liability. And listen, Purdue has won – They beat Gonzaga, they beat Duke. They have some good wins outside of the Big Ten, but I do think the Big Ten is extremely weak this year. Michigan isn't nearly as good as we thought they were going to be. Ohio State, who had one of the top recruiting classes in the country, is a disaster. So I think Purdue's overvalued. I think there's better teams on the board to take a shot at than Purdue at 10-1. to
1: Let's talk about the Pac-12. UCLA plus uh, 1,200 to win it all, Arizona plus 1,500. From your standpoint, is UCLA the best team in the Pac-12? And maybe from a broader sense, do you like their matchup ability ability once they get into the tournament?
2: Yeah, UCLA has been, for the last month, my my pick to win it all. I think UCLA and Houston, it's a wide-open year. There's no dominant teams. But for me, those are the two most complete teams that can that are built to win six games in the tournament. Uh, I just I like UCLA's experience. I like their guard play. They play defense. Now they have trouble with Arizona. Arizona is a big team. That's where UCLA's weak. So you're going to want to see where these teams, what kind of brackets they're matched up in, right? You, you don't want to see UCLA doesn't want to have to get through like Purdue and Arizona to get to the Final Four. That would that would be a bad matchup for them. But I think overall. They're one of the teams. It is wide open, like you hear that all year, it's wide open. But in reality, how many of these teams can win six games? Because that's what it comes down to, winning six games. And I think UCLA is at the top of that list.
1: So I want to stay with the Pac-12 here. How do you analyze this from a perspective of the Pac-12 tournament? I mean, clearly you see UCLA, Arizona separate themselves, but that doesn't always mean that they go on to win their conference tournaments. So do you kind of stay away from conference tournaments? How do you uh, look at that particular type of betting opportunity?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I I do bet conference tournaments, but for example, I wouldn't bet the Pac-12 tournament. Because for me, it's UCLA, Arizona, and everyone else. Like, yeah, they could get upset, but I would put my money that UCLA and Arizona are going to meet in the finals again for the Pac-12 championship. I look for tournaments where there's a little more depth. I'll give you a good example the Atlantic 10. The Atlantic 10, there's teams from top to mid. I mean, anybody could win that conference. So I'll look at the odds for a a deeper conference like that where there's no dominant team, Uh, a team that's hot right now, LaSalle. Or you know, uh, Fordham, who's been good all year, they might have good odds to win their conference tournament. So I'll look at that. But the the Pac-12 for me is the perfect example of a conference I would stay away from because I, I think there's you could bet good money that it's going to be UCLA and Arizona for the championship.
1: That voice, Thomas Casali, with the Action Network here on KDOS AM 1060. In the extra point, you alluded to this team earlier, Gonzaga. They squeaked in at number 15 in that pre-tournament rankings. This isn't the Gonzaga team of old. They're sitting at 30 to one. We've come used to seeing Gonzaga in Final Fours, and anything less is really kind of a disappointment. Uh, but this is possibly where you fade Gonzaga, right?
2: Yes, uh, it's hard to believe now. But there was a time a few months ago where the two favorites to win the NCAA tournament were North Carolina and Gonzaga. North Carolina might not make the tournament, and Gonzaga's going to be a lower seed than we're used to seeing them. The, I actually took a shot on the Zags earlier this year when they got to 25-1 to 1 just because I thought the number was good. But I'll tell you right now, that's, that's probably a waste of some money. Yeah. I do like that they're playing some closer games in their, turn, in their conference. I think that's been one of the things Gonzaga struggled with in the tournament. They play a really tough non-conference schedule. But when your last tough game is in early December, then you get in a tournament setting. I think that's hurt them in the past. So I do think that's a plus for them. I don't mind them losing a couple games in their conference to a good team like St. Mary's. My problem is when you get to the end of the game, where's the scoring coming outside of Drew Timmy? It's similar to Purdue, right? Their guards are going to have a game in a tournament where they don't play well enough and they're going to get beat. So for me, Gonzaga, Sweet 16 looks like the ceiling this year.
1: TCU basketball 30 to one to win it all Mike Miles returned for the Horned Frogs uh, over the weekend they cruised to victory on Saturday over Oklahoma State big time matchup for them tonight against Kansas do we need to see something tonight against Kansas or having Miles back is it worth a ticket
2: TCU is one of those teams you got to watch out for. When they were healthy earlier in the year, they they were one of the better teams in college basketball. And remember, the NCAA tournament, depth isn't as important as it is in a regular season. We saw it last year with a North Carolina team that was a nine seed. They weren't all that deep, but in the tournament, their talent took over and they were able to make a run. TCU is not overly deep, but I think when they get in a tournament setting, they're going to be tough. Their starting five is really good. I don't think they have to beat Kansas tonight. I think it's going to be a good game. I think they, I actually like them to win this game, but I think it'll be close. But as we go into the NCAA tournament, PCU does everything well except shoot three-pointers. So if they don't have a game where they have to make threes, I think they're going to be tough in the NCAA tournament.
1: What do we think of the Big 12 conference as a whole? Here, there's a lot of potential teams. I mean, Kansas maybe seems to have figured it out. Has Kansas State maybe hit a bit of a wall? You have Texas overcoming a lot of off the court issues with their coach. Uh, you know, what do we make of the Big 12 right now? It's by
2: far and away the best conference, in my opinion. Because Baylor was the first team I bet back in October at 16 to one. They had the lead at Kansas and lost it. I still think. Kansas and Baylor are built similarly this year. It's not the Kansas team that has the big guy down in the paint. They don't have that this year, and neither does Baylor. They're both very similar to UCLA. That's why it's kind of wide open this year, because some of these teams like that, they don't have low post players. So they could get overpowered at some point in the tournament. But I think Kansas, I think TCU and Baylor, and maybe even Texas are all contenders to make a Final Four run. For me, it's the deepest conference in America, and usually when we get into the tournament, that helps a little bit because these teams are used to going down to the wire, playing tough games, and you're going to have at least one of those in your six-game run to a championship.
1: Thomas Casale with the Action Network here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Points. So Alabama here, the pre-tournament first-ranked team. Some things to deal with off the court for them. They're playing a lot of freshmen who are now getting a ton of experience, just plus 850 to win it all. What do we think and what do we make about Alabama?
2: So here's the thing with Alabama, and I wrote this up when I took Tennessee against them last week. Tennessee defends the three-point shot, number one in the country. Alabama's going to shoot the three no matter what. Okay, Now, if you look at their four losses now, including Tennessee, they shot below 33% from three, but they kept shooting it. They averaged 22 three-point attempts in that game. To me, that's what, that's what could trip up Alabama in the tournament. They might have one of those games where the three's not falling early, they're not going to change the way they play. They're going to keep shooting them and keep shooting them. I always worry about teams that are that reliant on the three-point shot because it's hard to go six games in the tournament where they're all falling. Outside of that, they're a very talented team. They set the tempo fast. They play great defense. I think they're a Final Four contender, but I just worry about them getting into a game where the outside shot's not falling. Will they adapt? And their four losses this year, they haven't done so.
1: You already mentioned Houston as a team that you like, uh, number two pre tournament ranked team. We've seen them have really good recent success in making tournament runs, but that was more from, you know, a four or a five seed position here. Now, if they're coming at this from a favorite standpoint, are we still believing in Houston to be out in front and get it done?
2: Houston's interesting because, similar to Gonzaga, they don't really play anybody after, you know, December. They played Alabama this year. At home, they lost by six points. They beat St. Mary's. Uh, Those were their two. uh, They played Virginia. They beat Virginia on the road. That's a very good win. Those are their three big games so far this year. The reason why I think you can depend on Houston in the tournament is we know they're going to do two things, play defense and rebound, offensive rebounding. They're fifth in the country, but there's no better team in college basketball hitting the boards than Houston. And that's big in the tournament, because like I just mentioned with Alabama, there might be a game where the shots aren't falling, and you're going to have to hit the boards. And that's why I think Houston has staying power in the tournament. I think for sure Houston is a Final Four team this year.
1: Thomas Casale with the Action Network here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra points. Uh, so as we're looking at this heading into conference tournaments, what's a good strategy for people, things that maybe we need to start paying attention to when we're looking at these teams and then possibly looking to set our brackets and make some bets for March Madness.
2: Yeah. One of the things you want to look for in conference tournaments are how are teams playing right now? You know, I mentioned LaSalle and the Atlantic that they've been playing well. If that's, Those are teams that might be able to make a run in the tournament. Uh, The other thing is, is there a team that's playing better? you got to remember something. Early on in college basketball season, it's hard to look back that far because teams are going to the Bahamas. Guys are suspended. Guys are injured. So at this point in the season, I kind of take away everything. I start from January 1st on. Like Those games played in November and December are nice, but they don't really mean anything right now. How are teams playing in conference play? And the other thing, look at the luck. Like, has a team maybe their record isn't great, but have they lost a lot of close games? Like have, have they lost games at the buzzer? Um, were they were they in there against better teams? Those are teams that could make a run in the conference tournament. And like I said again, also look at the conference, right? Like the Big Twelve is deep. So I could see maybe a team further down that, that list. Maybe winning that conference tournament, even though there's a lot of good teams, the Pac-12 is so top-heavy. There's two great teams. The rest of the teams are fighting for NIT spots. So I wouldn't really bet into that conference unless you want to you want to lay it with UCLA or maybe get Arizona at a small plus money. Uh, but I would typically stay away from those conferences.
1: In that same vein, do you do you I guess is this a personal strategy for you? Do you kind of look at teams and say, "All right, I think there's just a way too much media hype here. I can't wait to to bet against them and maybe those teams that fall into that 789 range?"
2: Yeah, I'll give you the team I talked about, the one that I have is Creighton. Every time Creighton win, wins a game, everybody's got him back in the final four. <laughs> you know, like uh, people I, I and like I when I back Creighton way back in April, I didn't real I didn't foresee the bandwagon that started even before the season. I thought maybe by January teams would be hopping on the Creighton bandwagon. This team has had a bandwagon all off-season. I mean, they had that really rough stretch but you know they they beat, they'll be a team like Xavier and everybody'll tell you look out look is going to the final four um so that's a team i think that people are too high on and i'll give you the classic team that i'm never high on is tennessee people love tennessee for some reason they're just not built for march the they they technically on paper yes they have the number one rated defense on Ken Palm. they play good defense but You look at this now, the last few games, right? They get slammed at Kentucky. They lose at home to Missouri. They lose at Vanderbilt. To me, Tennessee is not a team built to win in March. But again, they'll win a game, and everybody will have them back cutting the nets down. So I think Creighton and Tennessee are two teams that get a lot of uh, media hype that might disappoint people in the NCAA tournament.
1: Thomas, how can people follow you on social media and follow your work?
2: You can follow me on Twitter, at the Tom Casale. I have a bunch of college basketball and college football takes on there, and you will also see my write-ups for the Action Network on the New York Post.
1: Thomas, thank you so much for the time today. I look forward to doing this again here real soon.
2: Thanks a lot for having me. Have a good day.
1: You as well. Once again, that is Thomas Casale with the Action Network, giving us some good insight on what to do and how to bet uh, the conference championships upcoming as well as March Madness. And hopefully we can get some winners as we're fast approaching. It's crazy to think we're sitting here on a Monday, February 20th. Conference championships are just around the corner. March Madness, just around the corner plenty to get into spring training is here and we'll have uh, a spring training report if you will scott miller of a uh, contributor to the new york times as well as you can hear his voice on sirius xm major league baseball we'll catch up with scott around twelve fifteen today but with that spring training report there's some porta subs in it for you that's all coming up later on in the program if you'd like to join call in now 602-260-1060 is probably the only phone call time we'll have today it is the extra point on kdus am 1060
0: interact with bob kent's poll question on kdus 1060.com that's kdus 1060.com and while you're there check out bob kent's bottom line at kdus 1060.com
1: 11:40 here on KDOS AM 1060. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until one o'clock today. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather. Hopefully he'll be back and ready to go for tomorrow's Sports Zone. Thanks to Thomas Casali with the Action Network for joining us, chatting all things college hoops, giving us a little strategy of what we should be looking into ahead of the conference championships as well as March Madness here on the horizon. How was everyone's weekend? I had the opportunity to uh, hang out with some friends over the weekend that I haven't seen since basically football season got started, so that was nice to, to catch up. But I also was able to watch some golf. And the Genesis Invitational from Riviera Country Club, it certainly didn't disappoint. Gosh, what a layout, what a golf course. And John Rahm, he continues to be incredibly dominant. He gutted out a final round, though. Uh, and you could kind of almost say he, he gutted it out for the entire weekend. He wasn't hitting his driver as good as he can. He's obviously incredibly talented in the strokes gained off of the T metrics. He's losing things a little bit left a lot in the, the weekend rounds, but figured it out. Figured out how to shoot two under par to finish at 17 under and win the golf tournament. This tournament at Riviera, you kind of miss a lot of fairways just because there's so much contour in the fairways and everything is pretty firm and fast. And so I'm not overly concerned about missed fairways. It's more how you're missing the fairways. If it's just kind of off the the rough, no big deal. But if you're trying to hit a cut and you end up hitting a a hook, a little bit of a concern. But for John Rahm, like I said, He just continues to really evolve in his game. Uh, He now has 10 wins on the PGA Tour in his career. And this is what's wild. He already has three wins so far in 2023. And it's actually three wins in the span of 49 days. He had back-to-back wins in contention at the Farmers as well. Kind of fell apart on the Sunday final round, which honestly not overly surprised by that. He kind of just ran out of gas. The wheels fell off a little bit because you were asking for three in a row at that point in time. But three wins in 49 days continues to put himself in the conversation. And for him, a return to world number one. But this is how dominant he has been in his last 13 worldwide starts. A first, a third, a tie for seventh, a first, a first, A tie for 8th, a 1st, a tie for 4th, a 1st, a tie for 2nd, a tie for 15th, a tie for 8th, and a tie for 5th. And this is coming from John Rahm, who maybe by his own admission would say that 2022 was a bit of a disappointing season. Uh, And then he kind of started to figure things out toward the end. And then as the technical golf calendar flipped to the 2023 season, even though some of the golf was being played in 2022... His game just turned it up a notch rom's odds to win the masters has certainly been on the move now i took him at 10 to 1 from january because i just felt like his game he was putting himself in positions to be ready to go for augusta it's a golf course that he certainly should be able to perform well at if you're also thinking about comp courses riviera and the masters they are most closely aligned in terms of movement and the, the contour of the, the fairways and things of that nature, the subtleties of the slopes. So for him to get a win, that bodes well. Took him at 10-1 to 1 in January. He's now co-favorite with Rory McElroy on the FanDuel Sportsbook app at plus 750. So if you're, uh, I, I guess, you know, he continues to defy the odds by going ahead and winning as tournament favorites so far here in 2023 Max Homa though, he finished second at 15 under par. We had him as a top finisher. So that was nice to see that bet come in, but Homa's game. He's really uh, taken his game to a whole new level here. He won at Torrey. He plays really well here at Riviera. I believe he won back in 2021 and he was kind of fighting things as well on Sunday, but was putting himself in a position to try to push John Rahm. Came up just a bit short. Patrick Cantlay played well, finding his game after a miscut at the WM Phoenix Open. And Will Zalatoris, he's another one that you always think about him in contention at the majors, think about him and his game being really well suited for Augusta and the Masters. He closed with a Sunday seven under par. Gained in all statistical categories, a good sign of his health moving forward. If you remember, all the way back to the summer of 2022, he was able to pick up his first win in the, uh, the fall season, if you will. And, uh, or I guess, and uh, yeah, so he was able to finally get that win. And then immediately after that, did something to his back and had to take several months off. He wasn't able to play in the President's Cup Etc. Returned. Then maybe I read a little bit too much into where his health was at because he was scheduled to play in the WM Phoenix Open and then withdrew. So I was a little maybe concerned about some injuries lingering and continuing to pop up. But a great tournament for Will Zalatoris. He's currently sitting at plus 1900 on the FanDuel Sportsbook Odds Board for Augusta National. The Honda Classic is up next. Headed to the Florida swing after back-to-back elevated events. This is not an elevated event this week. And unfortunately, the field reflects that. Bigger names in the field include Sunjay M, Billy Horschel, Shane Lowry, Cam Davis. What has happened to Cam Davis? He had kind of a breakout season where you thought, okay, his game is trending really well. He hits it a mile. 2023 is going to be his year. He's been missing cuts left and right and like really just not competitive. Don't know what's going on with him in his game. And another player of a bigger name in the field is Harris English. It's set to be played at PGA National, a par 7,125 yards. Currently on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, they do not have any odds for this tournament listed. So don't know yet who the favorite is set to be. But we'll dive into that a little bit on Wednesday uh, in the extra point. Now, I had talked about the anticipation of Full Swing, the documentary on Netflix, how excited I was to get to watch this, get the inner workings of the PGA Tour, the players try to kind of figure out, uh, because there was so much drama, when they started filming with the PGA Tour and the, the breakaway tour with Liv, how was this all going to unfold? I ended up finishing all eight episodes. And you had a deep dive into golfers that were featured like Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Brooks Kepka, Ian Poulter, Joel Damon, Matt Fitzpatrick, Tony Finau, Colin Morikawa, Sahith Tagala, Mito Pereira, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, to name a few. Maybe my takeaway on this is not going to be the same as everyone's takeaway. So I'm really curious if you did watch this. Tweet at me and let me know what you thought about F- full swing, the documentary series here. Because if you're just kind of an average golf fan, if you're just kind of been on the peripheral of what's been going on with the PGA Tour, I don't know that this documentary did a lot to help you. I don't know if this documentary did a lot to really ignite your passion for golf. Um, I'm just really curious what average golf fans thought about this and even if you are a passionate golf fan do you kind of have the same takeaway as i did that it maybe there was just more anticipation for what this could potentially deliver and in my mind it just fell a little flat on all of that uh i don't know that they did a great job of explaining really the work that goes into what makes a great golfer versus a good golfer on the PGA Tour. What separates, you know, why John Rahm is a great golfer and how he's taken his game to the extra level and why he's more dominant right now. And we're kind of going through these ebbs and flows of who's taking the torch to be world number one, who's taking the torch to have a week where they can't miss. There's just so much that I think you could have gotten into, and I felt like it just kind of scratched the surface uh, because golf is a very nuanced sport. There's also a lot of details into how you get onto the PGA Tour, travel, caddies, coaches, the team you surround yourself with, even though it is an individual sport. There's so much that you could really tap into, and I just was a little disappointed. I wanted to love this I was looking forward to it and i came away disappointed and that kind of bummed me out a little bit i will say this though that it did bring up a lot of emotions for me about my own playing career um especially matt fitzpatrick and the episode about him and how maybe he's not quote unquote the most talented golfer but the way that he goes about Preparing to play the game, how much work he puts into it, what he felt he needed to do to try to compete at this level. He's so meticulous, so data driven, and he never wavers from it. And that commitment and that determination and that hard work paid off for him with a US Open victory. And just the raw emotion that the cameras caught of his parents, his brother, him. That was just really cool to see because oftentimes, we work our tails off to play this game really well. And it's really, really frustrating and dejecting when you don't see it result in massive success. And you have to keep plugging away, keep believing in your methods, keep striving to get better. And then one day it all clicks and that's when you win. And the outpouring of emotions just come out because Finally, it happened. What you believed in, the hard work, never giving up on yourself, never wavering in confidence. It, it's, golf is just such a mental, mental game. And I think that that episode certainly stirred up a lot of personal emotions just about how much sacrifice goes into trying to be great. And that's with anything in any sport. Uh, but certainly that was kind of neat to see and see all that success culminate for Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick and then, of course, his history. As well, at that particular golf course, Brookline uh, Country Club in the Boston, Massachusetts area. How success he had there as an amateur, winning the U.S. Amateur and then going and winning the U.S. Open this past year. I will say this, though. There was a lot of private jets for those guys traveling around. Never took a private jet when I was on the tour. Commercial. Middle seat. That's unfortunately the way of the travel. We'll wrap up our number one on the other side of the break. But very curious, if you did watch the documentary, tweet at me. Let me know what you think. If I'm completely off base with how I felt it fell short, tell me why. What did you love about it? But we'll wrap up our number one of the extra point right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com.
0: Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD 2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two
1: well we're not wrapping things up just quite yet we still have another hour to go from noon to one o'clock but this is the last segment of hour number one of the extra point right here on kdos am 1060 and as always online at kdos 1060.com it is turning our attention as well to baseball season uh we have the grand prize offering right now lunch for uh lunch for two to Porta Subs for one whole year plus 2023 spring training tickets. Now until March 19th, we'll pull the winner on March 20th. Download the KDOS 1060 app. Apple and Android users are eligible. Listen every day for your chance to get one entry per day into the grand prize drawing. It's all happening on the KDOS 1060 app. And of course, Porta Subs is sli- slicing up the quality you crave. Your favorite sliced fresh premium meal meats and cheeses on our signature fresh baked bread loaded with fresh veggie toppings and savory sauces get the taste that you crave at your neighborhood port of subs visit them at portofsubs.com Max McClung he won the dunk contest who's Max McClung right Mac McClung he plays in the G League so how is that for a dunk contest fallen that the Stars aren't performing Mac McClung to the rescue He certainly did have some electrifying dunks though i saw the highlights of mac now the narrative suddenly is did he save the dunk contest i don't know we'll see if uh some of the stars feel like they were upstaged by mac mcclung g leaguer or if they'll get excited and want to return to the dunk contest next year it's still a whole year away So we'll see what happens on that front. Team Giannis versus Team LeBron. Giannis played for one play as he's dealing with a sprained right wrist. LeBron played for one half. Team Giannis won 184 to 175. Jason Tatum scored 27 of his 55 points in the third quarter and it became the most points in an all-star game ever. Donovan Mitchell for Team LeBron scored 40 points. Jason Tatum was almost the unanimous MVP of the All-Star Game. The fan vote, though, gave it to Donovan Mitchell as uh, the game was being played in Utah. And, of course, Donovan Mitchell used to be a Utah Jazz member. Wrapping up hour number one, we'll get into hour number two, Scott Miller of Contributor to New York Times, as well as hearing him on SiriusXM Major League Baseball. We'll hear his thoughts on spring training. And that'll be your opportunity as well for lunch for two from Porta Subs. It's all happening here on Extra Point. Kayla Mortellaro with you up until 1 o'clock today on this Monday, February 20th.